part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. And thank you for joining us this morning. Was that the first time that you ever sang that first song? Have you ever sung that before? First time? Your grandma would be proud, okay? Your, your grandma, I know you, I mean, I know about your grandmas and they'd be proud because they know that song. So you did a great job with that. I appreciate that. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. How many of you have ever said, or maybe you heard somebody else say, well, you know, my God would never, and then fill in the blank, would never do this, would never do that. My God would never send this nice person to a place separated from them, a place of... I uh, know my God would never do that. How many of you have ever heard somebody kind of put a claim on God that maybe goes maybe even a different from what claim God has put on himself? Have you ever heard somebody do that? Have you ever done that before? That somehow in your own mind that, okay, all the Bible says all this about God and his character and, and all of this, and you've got some theology down, and yet at the same time when the circumstances of life happen, you're going, you know, I just don't know that. I, my God wouldn't do that. Can you, what if somebody did that to you? What if somebody said, well, you know, I just don't think that, you know, that Cleve would do that. And Cleve is the very opposite of what you would actually do there. You know, you could be offended, you could be mad, you could be angry, or you can say, you know, you just don't really know me. There could be so many responses to something like that. Well, we live in a world where there's a lot of people that kind of pick up and want to give God characteristics that God doesn't have. Uh, characteristics and kind of demeanors and thoughts and different things like that, that that simply God has never told us about himself. And they kind of make these assumptions for God about the character of God or about the actions of God. And really, there's no biblical basis of doing that. People do that. Folks, even we are prone very much to do that. See, one of the problems with any time that we get into the study of theology, we get into the study of especially God and the nature of God, is that it's going to be over our head from the very beginning. There's a certain amount of it that we're just not going to be able to comprehend and understand. Now, please don't take offense at that, because the very first week, remember I said that I'm always going to teach and preach as though you're a very intellectual, you're a very knowledgeable, you're a very mature and a very desirous of knowing truth kind of people. And I still believe that. I think you're very smart and that you're capable and all that. So that's not a demeaning thing. But who among us can think like God? How many of us can know the fullness of God? See, we really struggle that we can't fully comprehend something that is uncomprehensible. And God is uncomprehensible. Look at the passage in Isaiah 55. This is how God describes himself. This is not just somebody saying, you know, I've kind of looked at God and this is what I think of God. This is God describing himself. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares who? No, he said, okay, this is what I'm telling you this about myself. So this is in Isaiah, just as, even as a prophet saying, okay, here's what I've learned about God, because I'm a prophet. I'm a pretty big wig as it comes with the religious things, and here's my understanding. No, this is something that the Lord has declared himself, that his ways are not our ways. Look what he says in the next verse, verse 9. For as high as, uh, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. In a way, this is really good. That we have a God that is so big 
that we can't fully comprehend him. I mean, would, you, would you say that you would agree with that, that it's good to have a God that big? Is it frustrating to have a God that big? It really can be, because there's going to be times that when God has a different way than what you would pick, and you don't understand, okay, God, are you mad at me? Is this really the wiser way? Is this? And there's a lot of different things that we can begin to assimilate from that or, or deduce from that is a better word. Uh, we're just, okay, God, are you doing this because you're ticked off at me? You know, there's all kinds of assumptions that we make about God when things are not going our way. And it's really hard, folks, to be honest with you, to sit there and take this. Well, we can understand this. Intellectually, we can agree with it. But it's really hard to live this out, that we have a God whose ways are just going to be beyond our ways, that his thoughts are going to be beyond our thoughts, and that when we do linear thinking, that we just think that A plus B uh, is going to equal C. This is just logical sense to us. And God throws Z in there instead of C. And we're going, okay, God, I didn't see that coming. And why did he do it that way? Sometimes God does that, and it's a surprise to the good. Have you ever got just surprise you on the good side? They're going, okay, God, I could not have done that. I was having a conversation this morning with with a young couple, and Taylor, I hate to call you out, but would you agree that when God opened up your eyes to this beautiful woman that sits beside you, your wife, that you could have never in your own mind thought that you would have been so fortunate, so blessed? I, I took that from our conversation this morning, so I'm not, I hope I'm not putting, work your mouth. This is really bad. You have a guest, and now you're just pointing him out in the sermon. Okay, so I apologize. But we were just talking about this morning that sometimes God just, you know, he does something in your life that is just like, wow, God, that is so amazing. But what about the times, what about the times that God does something, and amazing is not really the word that we would give to it. Something that we say, okay, this can't be of God because this is, there's no way that fruit, there's no way that growth, there's no way that maturity, there's no way that anything good can come from this because the direction of my life and what's happening in my life right now, there's no way that good can really come from this. That doesn't mean that God's not in it. When we went through the, the series on Joseph, we looked for about 13 or 14 weeks. Joseph is the, the one guy in the Bible that I've, if I had to pick one person in the Bible that says, you know, life is not fair, this would be Joseph. Because he did the right thing over and over and over again. He's really faithful to the call that God had placed upon his life. And yet, by doing the right thing, he always ended up with the short end of the stick. And I imagine that there was times in the flesh, and just in his, in his understanding, you're going, okay, God, I know that your ways are higher than my ways, and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, but God, really? <laughs> Jail because I did the right thing? Really? And there's times in our lives, people, that we're going to be in circumstances like that. It can be very, very frustrating. We're in this foundation series trying to just cover some of the basics of, of the, uh, the foundations of, of life as a Christian. Biblical people trying to find out, okay, you know, just how do we answer the questions of life? And last week we really took an, a philosophical aside and we said, basically, why are there so many different religions in the world? It's because people take all the data that they kind of find, all these things that we can kind of know about God or assume about God, and they draw different conclusions, and they kind of gather together with like-minded people, and they have different conclusions there. 
And that's also why we would have different denominations. Even within Christianity, there's people who say, well, I don't know, my God wouldn't do this. Or they interpret scripture in a certain way, and they kind of get here, and they find other people that are agreeable with them. And that's why there's just so much variety out there. But last week, we looked at the three questions that man has really been asking ever since we find recorded history. These three questions, in some form, have come up. Is there a God? They may ask it in a way, where did we come from? There's a lot of different ways you can term it, but, but basically, is there a God? Is there a creator? Secondly, is there an afterlife? Another way you can ask, ask that is, what happens when we die? Mankind has been asking that for a long time. Is there a God? Is there a creator? Is there somebody who started all this? Hey, when we die, what happens when we die? Do we just die? Is there something that goes beyond this? Is there an afterlife? And then when you combine both of those, depending on the answers you've gotten, certainly if you say yes to both of those, then it brings this very present question to your mind. Okay, if there is a God, a creator who started all of this, and there really is something after this, after I die, there is something that really does happen, I just don't stop to exist, then who holds the keys to that? Who's at the door? Who's the gatekeeper? How do I make myself right or agreeable if this is God's choice of who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't go to heaven or whatever it might be from your belief and your background? Mankind has always wondered, how do we make ourselves right with the one that would hold the choice or, or hold the key to our afterlife? What happens for eternity? When we begin to put those together, we find out that people draw all kinds of different assumptions. There are going to be plenty of people that said there is no God. Just God doesn't exist. There's going to be other people that said, okay, God exists and this is the kind of God that he is. He's just love and he's just peace and he's joy. Others are going to say, no, you know, he's much more like a good, you know, like a, like a, a sheriff in the sky. And he's keeping order. So you better walk straight. Because if you walk out of line, he's going to get you. And there's a lot of people that they've grown up with that mentality that God is just a God who's keeping order and that you better be in order or you're going to be hurt. All kinds of different thoughts as people would process these three questions. And that's why, again, we have all these different uh, beliefs. Well, you know, there's a wide wide range of answers, but there's one thing that I hope that you got last week. And that is no matter how you answer these questions... Every answer that you would give to these three questions of life that mankind has been asking on every continent and every nation and every people group since recorded history, they've asked some form of these three questions. The answers require what? Thank you. Somebody, y'all were listening last week. Because sometimes we think it's just the religious people because we know we're supposed to be people of faith. So certainly we have to have faith. No, an atheist, if he doesn't believe in God, has to have faith because there is a certain order to everything. And how did we get here? And even that person says, well, you know, I really believe in evolution and I believe that just things happen and this is how they happen and science may not have everything figured out, but here's pretty much how everything happened. What takes faith to believe that? Because even though you might build it on some fact, you do have a lot of theory that you're going to have to put in there. Because not so much in, in microevolution. Microevolution, you can go test. Macroevolution, you can't. It takes faith to believe that everything just kind of came into order out of disorder. 
It's an amazing thing when we really start to process that. That every human being somehow is going to have to exhibit faith in something. And so we left off last week, okay, then since we all kind of come to different conclusions or maybe we come to different answers, how do we know where to place our faith? Since every one of us are faith people in something, how do we know where to place our faith? How do we make sure that we're placing our faith in something that's good and wonderful? How many of y'all watched the first Falcons game? Yeah, nobody's admitting it. <laughs> how many of you had faith that, you know, this might be a decent year? And how many of you lost faith pretty quickly when you watched them play? And again, I'm not trying to be that fair-weather fan or anything, but it was one of those things, you know, we put our faith in all kinds of different things, and then all of a sudden we see results and we're going, man, this is not what I thought. In the same way, how do we know the not just the answers to those questions, but where to place our faith? Last week we said, well, you know, you could place your faith in the most popular answer. You know, Christianity still, by numbers, is the most popular, if you want to say there's more Christians in the world than any other, you know, people group, uh, religious people group. You could go by age. You could say, okay, you know, the Hindus claim that their faith goes all the way back to this, and so that makes them kind of the oldest people of faith. And again, that's kind of questionable if they really are, but you could go by that. You could go by the most popular in the current world, as far as, as, far as the fastest growing. By far, almost twice as fast as any other people group, religious group in the world, is the Muslim faith. Right now, Muslim faith is growing twice as fast as any other religion out there. Probably not good ways to really kind of decipher, you know, the most popular, the current, flavor of the month, anything like that. How do we really know that we've placed our faith in the right person? How many of you have ever had, ever had an operation before? Okay. Debbie, I know you just had a, a, an operation. Okay. You had to put faith in two things. Number one, the doctor. Number two, the procedure. And was it a 100% guarantee that everything was going to work out? No. And yet you probably, you know, asked this doctor, maybe asked around, is he a good doctor? I mean, I don't know if your faith would have been challenged if he came out there and, uh, and he looked like he was about 18 years old. And he said, yeah, man, I just passed my meds last week. I just, man, the ink is still dry on my certificate. And I don't know that you're just going to really be excited about going up there and going, okay, man, cut away. No, so we have an operation. We have a procedure. Nothing's 100%. I mean, I don't want to scare anybody, but do you know that people have gone to, into the dentist to have a tooth pulled and died? Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a dentist appointment this week, I hope I didn't freak you out. Okay. My pastor said I could die here. You know. No. It has happened, folks. Is it just statistically almost minuscule? Yes. But nothing is 100%. And here's the difficulty. The reason I bring that up is, here's the difficulty. We live in a world where skeptics, people that are skeptical about anything, I'm skeptical, you're skeptical about certain things. When we're skeptical, we want as much assurance as we can get. And that's why a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't know about Christianity. Because how do we know that that's the right God? 
What if when that afterlife comes and I die, I find out that, you know, everybody was really this religion or it was really that religion and I just happened to be born in the wrong place. If I would have been born in India, I would have been right. How do we know that? Since nothing is 100%, since it is faith, how do we know that? Wouldn't it be a lot easier if God just from the heavens, okay, big cloud sky, God kinds of appears. And even though he's spirit, let's say that he took on bodily form just for about 15 minutes. And everybody in the whole world could see God in a bodily form. Australia could do it. Uh, you know, people in, in North America could do that. People in Asia could do that. And everybody in the whole world at the same time saw God appear from the clouds. And God from the clouds said, okay, guys, I... You know, I know you've been having this faith thing, so I just want to shout down and prove that I am real. And I, here, I'm just going to do a couple things just to, to show that I'm real. Okay, even though it's kind of like dark on one side of the world and light on the other side, for the next ten seconds, everything's going to go dark. And everything in the whole world went dark. He said, just to prove that that's not just some fluke, in the next fifteen seconds, everything's going to be light. And everywhere in the world, everybody who's hearing this, every single human being in the world hears this, and there was light everywhere. He said, okay, now everybody's going to float about three feet off of the ground. Don't be scared. You're, just going, to, you're going to float. I got you. And immediately, everybody you knew, and if it happened here and we were looking, every one of us are kind of three feet off. And he does this for about 10 or 15 minutes. And God just does miracle after miracle, kind of just this way of showing himself out. How many of you would say, "Ah, now we know that there really is a God? Would that be helpful to you? Respond. I mean, would you you like that? Would you not like that? I mean, it's never going to happen. I I don't think it's ever going to happen. Never forget when I was first in ministry... Can call him by name today, Michael McBroom. I don't know if you remember him from Bainbridge or not. And he was a very intelligent kid. So intelligent that almost his intelligence kept him from faith. Because he said, Bobby, I will pledge my life to your God if he just proves himself. We're standing, we were standing by a door and he says, if he just knocks on this door in the next minute, I will give him my life. I will pledge my life. I will live. And I said, Michael, it's not going to happen. I said, it's not because God doesn't exist, but because he requires faith. And the writer of Hebrews says it's impossible to please God without faith. I want you to grasp that, church, because we live in a world where sometimes as Christians, sometimes as a believer in God, that we're saying, okay, you're such people of faith, but I just live in reality. Faith is needed in reality, folks. It really is. Again, you're having surgery. Is any surgery 100% guarantee? Now, that's reality. And yet you put your faith in that doctor. You put your faith in that procedure. You put your faith in a lot of things every single day. That is the reality of life. There is nothing really that is 100% sure. And while God could, from the heavens, open up and speak out, and probably gain a lot of people that were not believers, and all of a sudden they go, man, I, I saw it with my own, I talked to other people, they saw it, I now follow God. I wonder if they continue to follow God, even when life got tough. When they were experiencing more of a Joseph life than they were, you know, just this great, great, wonderful life where everything is being blessed. Simply put, guys, 
faith is a requirement to actually please God. Look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. The writer of Hebrews, he explains what faith, biblical faith is, and really faith in any capacity, but especially in the spiritual sense. Look what he says. Now, faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He said faith is not when just God shows himself to you and it's so evident that it doesn't require faith. Now, here's the cool thing, guys. Really process this in your mind. When you get to heaven, I don't think we're going to need faith anymore. Because the Bible says that we will see God for who he is. And the fullness of God, we're going to be able to, finally, that which is uncomprehensible now, we will be able to comprehend because God gives us a new mind, a new capacity, and we will see him in his holiness. It will be great. And we will just, you know, you go, ah, I just don't know that I really want to go to heaven because aren't we going to be singing like the whole time and just praising God? It will be so natural because everything about your new mind and your new body will see the worth of his, of his, who he is, and you will want to. You'll just be compelled by everything in you. But until that day, you're going to have to have faith in what you don't really see. Five verses later in 11.6, Hebrews 11.6, look what he says. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God says right up front, hey, I'm probably not going to shout from the clouds. I can. But this journey, I'm going to give you enough information that you can truly act upon your faith. But it is going to require faith. The illustration that I use a lot of times is uh, when we think about when we're dating somebody and then we ask them to, to, uh, to marry us and we decide to get married. Do I see a no back there? <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> and so we're dating somebody and we're, we're going to you know, get married. Is there a 100% guarantee of how a marriage is going to turn out? Some of y'all said that louder than others. <laughs> no, there's not. It's by faith. But is it blind faith? Maybe you've dated for three weeks. Maybe you've dated for three months. Maybe you've dated for three years. And so you've got some information that you're acting upon. Hey, I like her. She likes me. We, we work well together. We have kind of the similar goals and things like that. And so in this dating process, we know one another. We've decided now that we're going to kind of go on with our life together as husband and wife. It's not 100% guaranteed that it's going to work out. But we're, we're not acting in blind faith. We're acting on what we do know. And if you understand that illustration, that's very, very uh, much like what God has given us as he's revealed himself through his word. Do you know everything that there is to know about God? No. And, and you won't this side of heaven. It will require faith. And yet he has given us so much in the revealing of himself that we can act in that faith. Now, look at that question there. What do you know about God apart from the Bible? Let's answer the first part. What do you know about God? Just tell me some things that you know about God. And it's okay to kind of say them out loud. Okay, he's good. And he's good all the time. We even wrote a song about it. 
Right? That God is good and He's good all the time. We know this about God. What is something else you know about God? He's not omnipotent. Okay? He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's actually all omnipresent all over these places. You know, we know this. What is somebody else? Okay? That He's trustworthy. Okay? He's faithful. He covenants with you. He keeps His covenant even when we break a covenant. He still keeps His covenant with us. What else do we know about God? Okay, a source of greatness. We know that he's holy. I mean, we could go on and couldn't we probably make a, a list of maybe a hundred things? How many of those things do you know apart from the Bible? All we would know is what Paul talked about in Romans 1.19. That somehow there's a testimony in his creation that we can go out there and go, wow, there's order to this world and I don't really know who this God is. I don't really know that much about him. But somehow this evidence shows me that there was a creator. And besides that, there's not a whole bunch that we would know. I don't know if there's anything else that we can know about God apart from the Bible. Now, why do we have the Bible? Because we were just really curious people and we say, hey, God, can you give us some information? No, God in his love, he said, man, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. Daniel, you and I were in our, in our Bible study. We're going through. If you've never read J.I. Packer, Knowing God, God, one of those books that you don't leave this planet till you read that. It's just, it's that good. And we're in the beginning chapters there, and, and J.I. Packer, he talks about having intimacy with God and, and that we have this knowledge of God. And I shared with Daniel the other day that somebody had shared with me years ago that intimacy, you could break that down to, in, to, me see. You get that? Do, do we have a slide that says that? Into me see. It may not be in order because I kind of jumped around. Into me see. For somebody to be intimate, have intimate knowledge of you, do they burst in or do you have to allow them in? I mean, for somebody really to have intimate knowledge of you, you, they have to have your trust, this, that, and the other. And then, maybe only then, you start to share some of your heart beyond the service. Now, they can look at me and say, okay, you're bald. You're kind of overweight. You're this, you're that. There's some things you can know about me. You cannot know my heart this morning unless I allow you to to come in and and see my heart. Unless we get to talking, I'm going, man, let me tell you about my heart. Man, I love my wife. I love my girls. Now I love my grandbabies. And I could start talking about those things and you could, you could have an intimate look into my heart. And you said, man, here's my fears. Here's the things I, I worry about. I know we shouldn't worry, but here's. And as I would allow you into my life, my heart, my fears and all these things, that's intimacy. It's growing that intimacy. In the design of marriage, the most intimate of human relationships, that's what we have is that we're supposed to be sharing our hearts with one another. But guys, let's be really, really honest here. How many husbands and wives have there been a time that you're going, I think there's more in there, and yet you're not giving me anymore? Have you ever had one of those times? I think every couple has. Because we're afraid, well, man, if I really say how I really feel, will she still love me? Will there be rejection? Intimacy is this invitation to into me see. And guys, if you don't learn anything else this morning, please learn this. That God loved you so much that he says, look, look into me. 
I invite you to look into me because I want intimacy with you. Because I love you. And I'll leave the 99 and I'll come after you. How would we know that? How could we write that song? How could we sing that song with conviction if there wasn't this God who revealed himself? We're the most blessed of people. Well, Bobby, I understand all that, but you know, you talked a couple weeks ago about this circular reasoning. And aren't we just using the Bible to prove itself? And here's my answer. Yes. We really are. And the Muslims are going to look into the Quran and they're going to say, here's what we know about Allah. And the Hindus are going to look into their holy books, uh, the, 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 Vedas, the Vedas that they have, and all these writings, and they're going to say, okay, here's all these different gods that, that we know about. The Mormons are going to look into the Book of Mormon. They're going to look into uh, the, the Doctrine Book and the Pearl of Great Price. They've got about three or four books that they consider to be sacred books. The Book of Mormon being the, the top one kind of rules above all the rest. And, and they're going to look into that book and they're going to say, okay, this is what we know about God. Get this, guys. The evolutionist, the scientist, there's many things that he can prove by scientific fact. It doesn't require faith because he can repeat the experiment over and over again. But there's a lot of assumptions that scientists have to make. Would you agree with that? When the first spaceship went to the moon with Neil Armstrong and all that, did they have facts to build upon to to send man to the moon? Do you think Neil Armstrong and the other guys... We're just a little bit nervous because it wasn't 100%. In fact, they had had rocket ships that had blown up. They've had other catastrophes that had happened. Do you think that all of a sudden they're going, okay, yes, this is built on fact, and yet you're taking a leap of faith when you actually put fact into reality? Because at some point, you're having to act into theory. Evolution, for example... I talked to one of my buddies who's, you know, maybe he's from a very science. No, this is fact. I'm going, there's some fact. Microevolution? Yeah. Macroevolution? No. I'm not saying that mine is fact. I'm saying I'm working off of theory. Was I there 6,000 years ago and God said, let there be light? No, I'm taking it by faith. But please understand this, folks. The, the, The playing field is level here. Christians aren't down in a hole because we happen to be people of faith. Every human being is reacting in faith to things that are not 100% sure. Would you agree with that? As we begin to do that, that's why God says, okay, but here's, I want you to have not blind faith. I want you to have a very calculated faith. I want you to have a very strong faith. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you about myself. And all of a sudden we open up the word of God and we begin to see things like Psalms 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Do you think that we would have ever come up with the illustration of God as the shepherd and we as the sheep if it wasn't for the word of God? I mean, is that the first thing that comes to your mind if you're just sitting around someday going, you know, I know nothing about God. But you know what I think? I think he's kind of like a shepherd. And I think we're kind of like sheep. I don't know that we're going to come up with that. 
But how many of you have times in your life thought of comfort that you knew that you had a heavenly shepherd and that you were one of his sheep and he calls you by name? So how do we know that? Because the word of God says that. Do we know that the Bible is the one book? Can we prove that it's the one book over this sacred book or that sacred book? No. We're all living by faith. Next week, I'm going to tell you why it's a good calculated faith that we can put our our faith in the Bible, why it does stand above all the other sacred, sacred works. But I just want you this week to understand the grace of God that he would extend himself and say, look at me, this is what you can know about me. Isaiah 40, 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather in the lambs of his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. I like that. But let's be fair. What else has God said about himself? Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen. I will execute great vengeance on them with, wrath, with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. Is that the same God? Yeah. Is he just having a bad day? God's wrath, his anger, his righteous anger is just as holy as his shepherding father's heart. And we could look at all these different things in the Bible that God says. Does the Bible say that God is a jealous God? Yeah. Did we figure that out or did God tell us that about himself? Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. You shall not bow to them or serve them. This is right there with the Ten Commandments. He says, you shall not bow down or serve them. Uh, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. You're probably not going to put that in your Christmas card this year. I mean, this is not one of those endearing things. But I promise you, what God is trying to do is say, okay, I want you to know me. And I am a God of wrath. I am a God who wants justice. And when there's sin, there has to be a payment for sin. And that would be terrible news for every one of us because we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God, except for one thing. That God, in this revelation about himself, said, I love you so much that I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send one who's going to be the answer to sin. Because I'm still going to have my justice upon sin. And he's going to take the full wrath that is righteous and right. And I'm going to put it upon him so that I can put his righteousness on you. I didn't figure that out when I was just out there meditating one day. The word of God, God's revelation about himself. He reveals that. And then once I understand that, guys, I can only give you my experience. You have your experience. But you know where that sits really well? Here in my mind, because I'm a thinker. Here in my heart, because I am an emotional person. And in my very spirit, because I'm wondering, is there a God and what kind of God is there? And how do I make myself right with this holy God? And when he extends and says, okay, here's the answer, the one and only way, my son Jesus, I've provided him to you free. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Then all of a sudden, my mind, my heart, my very spirit agrees. Could I be wrong? Yes. That's where my faith comes in. The one thing that God is not going to give us 
It's something that's a 100% guarantee. He's not, I don't think he's going to reveal himself from the heavenlies. I don't think he's going to let us levitate three feet off the ground. I don't know that God's going to do all this. Because what more could he do, God, to prove to you the kind of God that he is, that he would send his own son to die in our place so that we might live with him forever and evermore? That's, pretty, that's a hard act to follow, okay, guys? It's hard to top that. And that's where in childlike faith that we accept that and trust it. Is it circular reasoning? Is it just the Bible proving itself? Yes. But you're going to have the same thing no matter what denomination, no matter what religion, no matter what line of thought, even outside of religious life. Everybody's going to act upon something. They're going to use their own data to prove what they believe. Does that make sense? So what do we do with all this? With this intimacy, he's given us the opportunity to know him and to trust him. It's going to be impossible for you and I to ever fully comprehend God. He's incomprehensible. His ways, as long as we're here on earth, are always going to be higher than our ways. His thoughts are always going to be higher than our thoughts. And sometimes they can say, God, do you even know what you're doing? And I promise you this, I promise you this. He does. We might not have a clue. And we might be very even legitimate in asking that question, as Joseph would have been, as other people, where they were just getting the short end of the stick and they're going, okay, God, you're not making sense. I think it's totally fair to, for, to, to cry out to God as Job did. And basically, Bobby's words here, God, you're not making sense. I don't think holy God looks down and says, well, I don't care. Job, come here. See the stars. See the planets. Job, where, where were you, my son, when I was hanging those? And in the kindness and the grace of a creator God. He takes Job. And he doesn't scold Job because Job's really having a tough time. It'd be better if I would never have been born than to face all this calamity in my life. No, he tenderly, he goes out and he just shows him one more evidence that he is holy God. He's creator God. And the intimacy. Hey, Job, look into me. Where were you when I was hanging all this? Where were you when I was forming all this? Job, you can trust me. And this morning, maybe you're in one of those Job kind of situations in life right now. And you're going, God, I really would like to know a lot more about how you're going to to figure this out and how you're going to work this out. And God may give you that. And he may not. Here's the thing, guys. I truly believe that the word teaches that God has given us everything that we need to know. Not that we want to know. I've got 65 questions ready for God just this very minute. God, why why do you allow a two-year-old to to, to have to suffer at the hands of of some sexual pervert? That's a hard one for me to swallow. 
There's a lot of things I don't know why God's allowing evil and why God's allowing this and why God's... There's a lot of questions that we can have. But here's, here's what we do, guys. We come back and say, God, but what you have shown me about yourself? I was your enemy? And now you've made me family and you're seated me at your table. So God, if you can do that, and if I can trust you with my very salvation, if I can trust you in this biggest part of my life, then it doesn't make me happy that I see all this evil going on. I just got to trust you, God. I just got to trust you. And it's that challenge of our faith, guys. That challenge of our faith. That will probably be one of the the hardest things you'll ever be asked to to trust about God. And that's where you just, I I hope you remember the sermon. When I have trouble really seeing what God's doing, I just come back and what do I know about this God? And you find your rest and your peace in that. I'm not saying that all of a sudden you'll be 100% comfort. I don't know that we'll ever be 100% comfortable in this world. I just don't think it's going to happen. It's a broken world. But I know there's coming a day and we will see him as he is. And everything that we've read about, when he says, man, I'm your father. Hey, I love you. Hey, I'm a shepherd and you're my sheep. One of these days, one of these days, that which we believe in faith now will be the reality of our lives when we put our faith and trust in God's answer of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Father, this faith walk is uh, challenging at times. Father, I don't know that there's anybody here that says, yeah, I'm kind of like Job. Father, we read about Job. We read about Joseph. We read about some of these others. And Father, our life really is pretty tame in comparison to some of the things that they had to go through. And yet for us, Father, when we're challenged with those things, it's really, really tough. And Father, we have to admit, Father, I I admit, there's days I want you to shout from the heavens that here's what you plan to do the next three days, the next three weeks, the next three months to solve my dilemma. When what you've called me to do is put my faith into who you are. Father, help me to remember those times as, as a teenager when I, I thought my dad, my mom, they must be the most messed up people in the world. There's no way they wanted me to be happy. Only to come find out as I grew and mature to understand that they loved me beyond measure. And that sometimes their discipline and sometimes their correction and some of the things that they were doing was not because they were evil people and they didn't want me to have fun, but that they just loved me and I didn't have enough understanding. So, Father, thank you that in your word, you've said you're like a father to us and that we're your children. Father, in those days that we do not understand, we're grasping for answers. Help us to come to the answer that is you as you have revealed yourself and invited us to see who you are through the intimacy of your word. We love you. We thank you, Father. And now we sing this song, Father, to praise you, to worship you, and to declare this truth that you've made known in your word this morning. For in Christ's name we pray.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.